Welcome to our last sermon on the Jonah series. We are going to be in chapter 4, doing the whole chapter today. And the name of this message is Compassion Deficit, a Compassion Deficit. We also will have a children's message to start off. But I would invite you to, again, look at the links for the outline, either on YouTube or you can go to the church website at www.chuilaefree.org. Let's pray. Lord God, open our hearts to look in this time of pandemic how compassionate you have been toward us. Lord, we want to look at our own hearts and how we respond to the circumstances, to the people around us. And may we, as we look at the life of Jonah, as he ends up his time in Nineveh, how we need to be more compassionate. And so, Lord, speak to us, and may we listen. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome, children. It's great to see you again. Have you had a good week? How has it been going in your house as you're doing homeschooling, and it's another week where we can't go out and do things? Well, I hope that you are still growing and finding some good things to do, because this morning, I want to talk to you about kindness and compassion. Now, I have a wire brush, and I have this wonderfully soft washcloth. And now, let's say I have two different ways I could clean things with these two things, but let's say I get, see my mustard, let's say I... I'm eating a hot dog, and I get a little bit of mustard on my face. And it's sitting there, and I need to clean it off. Now, both of these things can take the mustard off of my face, but one is going to be really painful and take a bunch of skin with it, and the other is going to be more pleasant. So I want to take the softer, gentler, kinder approach to cleaning my face. Now, why did I bring these things and show you mustard on my face? Because how we treat people, we can be like a wire brush or we can be like a soft washcloth. And how we talk to people can make a huge difference. Now, let's say that you don't know somebody. And so you're kind of shy and you don't really know them, so you're not sure how to talk to them. And so you don't talk to them very kindly. Do you ever feel like that? Then... That person, though, they may think you don't like them because you didn't speak very kindly to them. Well, when you're doing that, you're being a little bit like a wire brush. You're not being very gentle and kind. Or, let's say there's someone who's not been nice to you at all. And when you talk mean back to them or you make fun of them, then you really are being a lot more like a wire brush. Now, you might find your brothers and sisters. You think, they have not been nice to me. And so you speak harshly back to them. Then you're being kind of like this wire brush. Now, instead, if you speak kindly to somebody that you don't know, and you act and show that you are interested in them, then you're being like the soft washcloth. And if you speak to that person or your brother or sister, uh, that has not been nice to you, you might actually be able to change the situation by speaking kindly. So then you're going to be really like a soft washcloth in that situation. Proverbs 15.1 says this, 
A gentle answer soothes anger, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So try to speak kindly and gently to others. You don't know who you who may need a friend after you find some new people that, that are hurting or to somebody who has not been nice to you. Be the soft washcloth. Okay, see you next time. Have you ever noticed how hard it is to be objective about ourselves versus others? You know, things like when you get angry, you are ill-tempered. When I get angry, my nerves are frayed. When you dislike someone, you are prejudiced. But I'm a good judge of character and human nature. When you compliment someone, you're using flattery. When I compliment I'm just encouraging folks. When you take a long time on a job, you are plotting. When I take a long time, I have quality workmanship. When you spend lots of money, you are extravagant. When I spend lots of money, I am generous. When you stay in bed until noon, you are lazy. If I sleep till noon, I'm exhausted and I just need some rest. So we're not very objective about ourselves and neither was Jonah. So in our series these past weeks, Jonah and Us is the name, the story of Jonah is gonna teach us and has taught us about God's heart and how different our hearts are when we stack them up to God's. Like Jonah, we don't see ourselves very accurately. Well, Jonah has reluctantly gone to preach in Nineveh, Israel's powerful and cruel arch enemy. And amazingly, the Ninevites repent. That's what we saw last week. So, so God decides not to destroy Nineveh. Now God will address the issue with Jonah's heart. He doesn't care about others outside his own group. See, Jonah has a compassion deficit. So let's look at Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. And it says, this is in response to God saying he would not um, destroy Nineveh. It says, but Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. See, Jonah was willing, well, after some persuasion, to go tell the Ninevites that they would be destroyed. But now Jonah is displeased with God's mercy. He thinks the violence and the cruelty of Assyria deserves nothing less than destruction. He thinks God is not enforcing the necessary righteousness and justice the situation calls for. So Jonah's anger is actually, the Hebrew word there is the hot, that burning, that raging type. He's filled with rage. But, you know, Jonah soon will be growing even more hot. He's so blinded by his desire to see justice destroy his enemies, he, lose tra he loses track of God's compassion. So once again, like in chapter 2, the believer in the story responds worse than the unbelievers. Jonah has a compassion deficit. Are you ever like that? So convinced your viewpoint is right that you react harshly if someone else has a different opinion or doesn't do things your way. Do compassion and kindness slip in your life in those times? Well, unfortunately, 
whether you agree or not or like it or not, Christians have a reputation in the media for being harsh. The word harsh in the New Testament can mean bitter or severe. And our response sometimes or often to those we oppose lacks gentleness, which is a fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 2, 22. Our image in mass media, our postings on social media are too often coming across like Jonah. Now, the center fruit of the Spirit, of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22, is kindness, which means useful compassion. It's meeting the needs of others. Spirit-led kindness humanizes rather than demonizes others. Spirit-led kindness considers another person's backstory rather than just condemning them with labels. And spirit-led kindness creates space for redemption. See, our spirit-led responses can actually change the tone of a conversation. See, right now, our world is afraid, polarized, fragmented, nerves are fraying. But we can choose to weave a fabric of kindness to put a dent into that harshness. So don't be like Jonah. Don't be a Jonah. In verse 2, we go on with Jonah's story. He prayed to the Lord, Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? This is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now the word compassion comes from the Hebrew word for womb, you know, that inner part. And it, it's talking about God feels a deep, tender affection for us, like a mother has for her child. Now, Joseph, jo, uh, Jonah is not complimenting God here. Jonah didn't approve of God's grace, his compassion, his mercy in this situation. He liked grace and compassion for himself when he's inside the whale, but these Assyrians don't deserve God's grace and love like he does. That's his thought. See, Jonah has a skewed understanding of who God is. So sometimes we could say we as Christians have a harsh, imbalanced view of God as well. But you know, Scripture presents God as loving and kind. Even in the Old Testament, some would say, yes, even in the Old Testament. And in fact, when God first described himself to Moses in Exodus 34, he used those same words that Jonah now quotes. So why are Christians so much harsher than the God that the Bible presents? See, like Jonah, do you want God's grace for yourself, but not so much for others you think don't deserve it? See, we live in a society that is competitive and driven and fast-paced. We have a tribal mentality that my group is the main thing, my main focus. And we're individualistic. We get our identities from the wrong things. And we get swept into these things and then fear that any change we think may threaten our traditions or our preferences and we react harshly. So how do we break out of that cycle of harsh reaction? My answer is, first and foremost, we press into what abiding in Christ really means. 
Jesus talked about that in John chapter 15, abide in me. So what does that mean for Christ to dwell in you? And that instead of it being a bunch of rules and regulations that we try to follow or boxes that we check off, that we start to abide in Christ to let the Spirit live that life through us. I love how Galatians 2.20 says it. It's revolutionary. It says, Paul is saying, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. So that's the difference, living a life with Christ in us and having that security, that trust, that faith, that peace, that joy, instead of just trying to plod along and do it all in our own strength and determination. So there's Jonah's start. And now let's go on to verse three of chapter four to see what Jonah's solution is to this problem he's having with God. So once again, Jonah has a death wish. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Again, Jonah wants to die. See, God brought about Jonah's outward obedience in chapter two, and now God is going to challenge Jonah's inward heart in chapter four. See, Jonah's so self-focused that he would rather be dead than have his worldview changed. Do you ever become so fixed in your viewpoint about someone, a non-Christian neighbor, a co-worker, someone with a different viewpoint, that you would rather leave a relationship or leave a job or leave a church than change your viewpoint? Do these behaviors, when we just want to bail out, do they reflect who God is? Are we reflecting God's mercy, his grace, his compassion, his kindness, his gentleness? Jonah wants to just escape. He wants them to be destroyed. God's not going to do it. I just want to be dead. I just want to escape the situation. So we're a lot like Jonah. That's the Jonah in us. Well, verse four, but the Lord replied, have you any right to be angry? God's response is a gentle prodding question to which Jonah has no response that's written in the text. So God is challenging Jonah, examine your motives. Look at the moral quality of your anger. What is it about? It's wrong. That's what God is really taking Jonah to, but he's going to do some some nature lessons to get there. But for our outline, the first point is compassion is blocked by wrong attitudes. When our attitudes are wrong, when we are lacking compassion, we are blocking it because we're so focused on ourselves or protecting our group or protecting our traditions or protecting our comfort, our preferences, that we lack compassion. But that's not how God responds, is it? So how can God use you to reach others if your heart heart is really hard? Will you change your perspective and let mercy triumph over judgment, as James 2.13 urges? Let me tell you a story, a true story. A young man came into a city dressed in dirty work clothes and, and work shoes, and he, he walked into an auto dealer showroom. And he asked the salesman, do you have 16 cars on hand, all the same model? 
Well, the salesman kind of looked him up and down and noticed the shabby look of the stranger, and he concluded that he was poor, so the salesman gruffly says, I've no time for jokes. Go away. So the man walked across the street to another car dealership. Here, he received courteous treatment, and there he agreed to purchase 16 cars. Later, it was discovered this crudely dressed man was one of the 16-man crew from a Norwegian fishing vessel, and they had caught a record amount of herring that season, and the sailors had all decided to buy new cars. So they sent him as their representative to secure the largest possible discount by getting all of their vehicles from one place. The first salesman lost the biggest order of his career because he was blocked by a wrong attitude. So let me ask you, do we judge people based on appearances and write them off? See, God works in redemptive time, not in human time, in his redemptive time. God creates space for us to change, but he creates space for those that we have written off to change also. So here's the question if you want to pause your player and Talk about with somebody in the room or however on the phone in a Zoom meeting. Here's the question. What wrong attitudes are blocking you from opportunities God brings to you? That question's on your outline, so take a few minutes and, and talk with each other. What wrong attitudes are blocking you from opportunities that God brings to you? Well, let's move on with Jonah chapter 4, verse 5. The text says, Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city, and there he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. So I have this picture, Jonah stomping out of Nineveh. He sits down outside the, the cities, probably like on a hill, and he's pouting and wants to watch God destroy Nineveh, hoping God will change his mind, God will look and, and listen to his greatly reasoned arguments, and he'll say, yep, you're right, Jonah, let's destroy him. I kind of have this picture. Jonah's like sitting there on this hill watching. His arms are crossed. There's a scowl on his face. His chin is jutted out, you know, like a teenager. He hopes God will change his mind. So God prepares a trio of lessons from nature to reveal to Jonah his lack of compassion. Verse 6 says, Then the Lord provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. So first nature lesson, God prepares a large leafy plant that provides shade for Jonah as he sits and pouts. You know, kind of gracious of God, don't you think? Well, the castor oil plant, some have said, in the Middle East, that might have been the plant. It can grow 10 to 12 feet high. It's got big, broad leaves to give lots of shade. But for the plant to suddenly grow large was the hand of God. And, you know, in Assyria, which, again, is in modern-day northern Iraq, frequently daytime temperatures in the summer could be 110 Fahrenheit. So a plant giving shade makes Jonah very happy. And it, the phrase that says they ease his discomfort, it literally means to take away his grief. Jonah is grieving physically and emotionally 
and spiritually because of his stubborn, unfulfilled expectations. Verse 7, at dawn the next day, God provides a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. So the second circumstance from nature is a worm. The castor oil plant is very susceptible to withering if its main stalk is, is severed or injured, and the worm could have easily chewed into the stalk and eaten that stalk, which would cause the plant to quickly wither. This was the next phase of God's sovereign plan. He provides for Jonah, but then turns around the next day, depriving Jonah of his newfound comfort. But God's not done with his nature lessons. Verse 8 of Jonah 4. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. Kind of a recurring theme in Jonah's life. God literally turns up the heat with the third nature lesson. Scorching east winds come off of the desert. They're full of dust. They're full of stifling heat. It possibly could have added an additional 10 to 15 degrees Fahrenheit. So Jonah is feeling very faint and wants to die. Can you imagine the stifling heat, the choking dust, while he's having his argument with God? But verse 9, Jonah says to Jonah, Do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I am angry enough to die. God is challenging, again, Jonah's self-absorbed perspective with this question, asking him, do you have the right for anger in this situation? What's the motive? What's the underlying thing going on in your heart that's bringing about this anger? Jonah's self-pitying answer is something like this. Here's my paraphrase. Life without my plan is worthless and shallow. See, Jonah has completely lost his perspective. So number two on your outline, lack of compassion is exposed by adversity. We find that compassion itself is blocked by wrong attitudes, but then our lack of compassion, sometimes it takes adversity to expose that. So let me ask you, do you lose your perspective over small things? Here's the challenge. And most of what bothers us are really small things, like Jonah's shriveled plant and the scorching wind. We get distracted from God's mission by all of these little everyday small things, these annoyances that we get all spun up and we miss what God's calling is. We are angry over things that don't matter for eternity while people around us desperately need Jesus. So just like Jonah, God wants us to see that being too distracted or too busy or too resistant to engage others may reveal that we too have a compassion deficit. Our true focus is not on God when our attitudes are driving us away from the very people God is calling us to engage. There was a a pastor named Eric, he was a part of a church planting team. It was a short-term mission, and they went to Russia for two weeks to teach the basics of church planting. Well, one particular Russian woman was skeptical of Eric's motives. Her face seemed permanently like in a scowl because she was distrustful. 
But Eric immersed himself into the lives of the people that were attending this seminar. And, and he would even stay up um, way late into the all hours of the night talking with the attendees via translators. In addition, he decided he would learn the song Via Dolorosa in Russian. Now, the Russians knew the words to Via Dolorosa, but they did not know the tune. They didn't know the melody of the song. So in the final church planting session, Eric sang Via Dolorosa, and the reaction of the group was overwhelming. Many broke down crying as they heard the words that they had memorized now being sung in their native tongue. But the reaction of the skeptical woman was the most memorable. Weeping, she came up to Eric and said, Now I see you taking the time to learn this song and sing it to us in our language was a wonderful expression of how much you care for us. I will never forget it. So how are we showing compassion? How are we not showing compassion? And that's our second question for you to talk about with those in your living group or in your meeting or on the phone. Here it is. How is your lack of compassion exposed by adversity and distractions? How is your lack of compassion exposed by adversity and distractions? The end of Jonah 4, verse 10 says this. The Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend to it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight, verse 11. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? See, God had more compassion on the 120,000 people and animals that Jonah, he had more compassion even for an animal than Jonah did for a plant. Listen to this paraphrase of God's response. Jonah, all these people, all those animals, I made them. I cherished them for all these years. Nineveh means the world to me. Your pain is nothing compared to mine when I contemplate their destruction. God is challenging Jonah. He's more concerned, Jonah is, about the physical things in his life and his world than the spiritual. Jonah is more concerned about himself than for others. And Jonah is more concerned about the here and now than about eternity. Now, an Israelite who's going to hear this read in the synagogue or hear the story would be challenged in his excluding view that God only has compassion on Israel. See, God has a plan for the world, a plan that was fulfilled nearly 750 years later in Jesus. God's plan to reach Nineveh, God's plan to reach our world right now today, will be accomplished with or without us. See, people today, just like the people in Nineveh, they often don't know their right hand from their left, what really matters in life. But what they need from us is compassion, not condemnation. So number three on your outline, our compassion is stretched by God's example. Our bad attitudes might block it. Lack of compassion is exposed by adversity 
but we end on a positive note that our compassion can be stretched, challenged as we follow along God's example. A young girl lost on the streets of a large city was crying. A man walked by, stopped and brusquely questioned her to learn where she lived. He then impatiently directed her, just go down the street, cross the iron bridge, turn right, follow the river, and the surroundings should be familiar to you. Well, the little girl, shivered by the cold evening, didn't understand and walked away, still sobbing. Before long, a policeman saw her and and he kindly said to her, "Um, where do you need to go? I will take you home. Come with me. And he took her hand, he wrapped his warm coat around her, and he took the extra time to lead the little girl right to her door. See, both men gave help, but only the second man showed compassion. What attitudes do you need to change to be the arms and ears and mouth of Jesus? Compassion enables us to embrace others even when they're different from us, even when they don't think like us, even when they look different from us. Compassion, like God had, helps us embrace others. And so that's our last message for this really series on reaching out to others challenging our heart in the first chapter with even racist ideas that we hold that keep us from reaching out to others. And now we see Jonah being shown his heart. So can we take on God's compassion for ourselves? Let's pray. Lord, Jonah's life, it's a call. It's a call to us to examine our own hearts, to see are we like Jonah? Help us, Lord, to be like you, not like Jonah, to be compassionate, even for people that we are afraid of or don't like or uncomfortable around. Help us to embrace them and love them and to bring your kindness and your compassion, your love, your grace and mercy, and to show them who Jesus is and show us the ways how we can change our hearts by abiding with Jesus and letting his love flow out from us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.